Hello from Temple Bar in Dublin. Very welcome to season two of our Tradfest podcast, brought to you by the Temple Bar Company and Falcha Ireland. That opening track there was played by Zoe Conway and John McIntyre, recorded in Rathfarnham Castle at Tradfest in 2019. Over the last couple of weeks here, we've been talking to festival directors from across the globe about their experiences during the COVID-19 pandemic and indeed about their plans for the future. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Lisa Schwartz. Lisa is Festival and Programming Director for the world-renowned Philadelphia Folk Festival and also serves as the Board President for Folk Alliance 
international. There's a lot more too to Lisa Schwartz, not least the fact that she's a member of the Savoy Opera Company, performing on stage at the famous Academy of Music in Philadelphia. As I said, there's a lot more too to Lisa Schwartz. Lisa, you're very welcome to the podcast. Oh, hello, Kieran. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here. Well, we're absolutely delighted that you're with us because we do want to get a sense of what's happening in Philadelphia. And we know that you're pioneering out there this year, which is fantastic. But I suppose maybe uh, normally at this time of the year, you're, I suppose, almost gliding into the Philadelphia Folk Festival because you're ready to roll in August. But not this year. That must have been a bit of a shock to yourselves. Yes. Uh, well, we build our site every year. I mean, we've been on the same 80-acre uh, working farm for almost uh, five decades. And so it's over 2,000 volunteers that come together to help to put the event on. So this past weekend, they would have been up there to start cleanup. And then every weekend uh, throughout the summer, they'd be going up to put in fencing and scaffolding and stages and so on and so on so um yes we had a lot to talk about as the world that we're living in now the covid world to take things very seriously and to take a very good hard look at what not just what was possible but what was right and i think our board knew uh, a couple of months back that without a vaccine we couldn't really ask people to gather in the tens of thousands so um here in southeastern pennsylvania we're only coming out of uh, what they call the yellow phase which is where there's still limits on the number of people that can gather we're going to go into the green phase where still only I believe up to, I think, 150 people gathering. So there really would have been no way for us to come together. Uh, we have, I think, 12,000 people per day that come to the site. Before we kind of discuss maybe a bit more about the festival and what your plans are for this year, would you mind just giving us a little history of the Philadelphia Folk Festival? Because it's just so interesting. It's been around for nearly 60 years. Oh, well, yes. I mean, it's an amazing history. It's, um, you know, the entire event is uh, bootstrapped, quite honestly. Um, the Philadelphia Folk Song Society is the presenting organization, and it was a group of people uh, that came together that just wanted to make music together, and they formed a little group, and they would get together and have little jam sessions and little... Uh, I guess what was called back in the very late 50s, Hootenannies. And uh, a group of them would go to Newport Folk Festival um, and they decided there had to be some way that we could do something like that so that we didn't have to drive all the way to Newport. And so a man named David Hadler basically just said let's have a festival and so he went to the board of directors and he pitched the idea and the board came back and said you put put a formal plan together and as long as you don't uh, lose more than twenty five hundred dollars 
we'll let you do this. And so what he did is he went to the famous Martin Guitar uh, Company, which almost six 60 years ago, they, they weren't quite as well known, but he knew um, the owner of Martin and Martin said, we will cover up this $2,500. So we'll stake you. So basically it was brilliant. So we don't really have anything to lose. And then they found uh, a gentleman that had a horse farm who said, sure you know if you want to invite a, a few hundred people here that would be okay and and then they started to put together who they might invite as far as performers are concerned and honestly Karen it was just a case of pure moxie it was you know just let's go let's ask worst that can happen they'll say no and Pete Seeger agreed to play the very first folk festival at the end of the event, uh, he turned his paycheck back in and said, use this to have the event again next year. And so it's been that kind of a spirit um, that has taken us all the way to this very moment uh, where people just recognize the importance of the music, of community, uh, and of being together. And basically from that very first folk festival uh, in September of 1962, where it was quite cold and the artists were sitting outside in this, you know, in the pastures of this horse farm where they could see their breath in front of them uh, to when we have it on another farm in another part of Pennsylvania, but now we have it earlier, we have it the third weekend in August, where it's quite often incredibly hot. It's the same, it's the same spirit. Um, I have four generations of people that attend both as volunteers and as ticket buyers. So I think that says a tremendous amount about um, what sets the Philadelphia Folk Festival apart from so many other events that are out there. It's a beautiful history actually and a, a stunning offer by Pete Seeger at the time really so it's, it's, it's part of your folklore no? It is absolutely part of our folklore and you know what it's sort of been that way um, where we've had very very famous musicians that have agreed to pay for less money than they would be paid in a big concert. We're a nonprofit organization. We don't have big sponsorships. We don't have corporate underwriting and we don't receive uh, any support um, from the federal government. We receive a very, very small grant from the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts. And that's, you know, we're pretty much self-funded. So basically, um, we have to raise the money to put the event on <laughs> so it has to just keep basically taking care of itself year over year so you know the folklore we're like the little engine that could you know and it's uh as we say back in the day there was a gentleman's agreement with the major venues in the area they really wanted uh, the Philadelphia Folk Festivals to succeed so they would not program against our weekend and they would go dark. And uh, it was very magical, the 
amount of support that we received. You would never see that today. It's very, very competitive. Uh, but at that time, it was absolutely desired for the little guy to succeed. That's fantastic. And I'm amazed that you don't get some sort of local government support, considering, I would imagine, that you contribute hugely to the local economy. We, we actually do. Um, yes, it's, you know, it's one of those things where we talk about having an economic impact study done uh, in the township. Um, we have a marvelous relationship with the local municipality where the event takes place. Sort of the converse to that is it's a very uh, small, lovely little town, uh, only slightly bigger than a village, a lot of farmers, and they saw, you know, I mean, think about it. You live in a little town and, and uh, 10 to 15,000 outsiders converge on you every year. So the, the, the townspeople were initially incredibly put off by us. The, the supervisors understood the value of our being there. And I've been very lucky to, to build a really wonderful relationship with them and, and a partnership truly. And we work together to make sure that the, the township feels uh, that we're really good neighbors, um, that we don't just sort of come in and you know, like throwing a boulder in the stream, you know, we don't come in and, and make, make this big splash and then leave. We, we come in, we're very respectful. Um, we participate in, in activities in the township, like cleanup events and things to support, to support them. But to your point, uh, yes, you would think that that local, uh, governments would recognize the value of our being there. The Philadelphia Folk Festival has certainly put Montgomery County, Pennsylvania on the map. You won't be having the crowds there this year, but you have come up with a unique solution almost for certainly performing artists. Well, you know, there was no way that we could safely gather. Um, you know, it, in, in March when the board was meeting and we were talking about what to do. Um, I think people were still so um, confused about COVID-19 and it seemed to come out of nowhere. So the messaging was, was kind of all over the place as to what, you know, what we could uh, hope for in terms of timelines and such. But uh, the conversations that I had with our board was very different. We were not willing to put our community uh, in any risk. Not our, um, not our volunteers, not our ticket holders, certainly not our artists, absolutely not the community itself who hosts us every year. So um, had a conversation with a very good friend of mine that works at a company called Mountain View Staging. And Mountain View has a 20-year uh, history experience in working in production of very large scale events, but also virtual events. And they've been doing virtual conferencing, uh, that has hosted over a hundred thousand people simultaneously in multiple countries. So we 
ask them, well, can we do a festival that's fully integrated and is virtual and digital and multiple streams and has camping and, and craft and a sales tent and all the things that you might experience if you attended uh, a big outdoor music festival. And they came back to us and said, the platform to do this does not exist. So we'll have to custom build it for you. And so they are. So I'm working on all the programming, but it's, it's really kind of an incredible uh, thing. You, you know, you sort of, um, everything is, is been migrated to digital. So that's kind of the philosophy that we adopted and we thought, well, geography, geography doesn't matter anymore. How can we connect, keep our family connected, our, our um, event can go out and create, you know, a lot of joy for a lot of people. And at the same time, we can expand uh, our fan base and also that for the artists that join us. So we're very excited. Um, it's going to be hosted online August 13th through 16th, which is our regular weekend. Mm -hmm. It is behind a paywall. Um, we realize that a lot of people have been horrifically impacted by the pandemic in terms of just their, their financial well-being as well as everything else. So we've set the ticket prices at $25 US a day as the very base, but it's also on a sliding scale. So people who can afford to pay more, uh, it would be great if they would, because obviously we're a nonprofit. So that's a, a very helpful thing. And, and there's a lot that goes into building, uh, a lot of cost that goes into building the event, but we felt it was just absolutely necessary to do it. I'm, I'm detecting the spirit of Pete Seeger through all of that, uh, when you <laughs> mentioned that, in fairness. Now, of course, in Tradfest, when you've been over, uh, we've had showcases and bands have gone from here to the States and all, all around the world. But great news for Irish artists at the Philadelphia Folk Festival this year because you're putting on a special stage for them. Yes. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was so impressed with Culture Ireland and, uh, and it's... It's devotion and dedication that that you and and Christine and Kiran and and everyone I've met associated with Culture Ireland have put behind export development of artists. And when I I came over for Tradfest and you talked about you know Global Ireland 2020 and of course this year with Galway you know, being in an uh, international city and so many things. There was so much to celebrate in Ireland and to have kind of all that, you know, the rug being pulled out. I was trying to think, what could I do maybe to help the situation? So I went back to Mountain View and asked them if there was a way that they could expand the platform to add another stream uh, and that it wouldn't matter where the stream came from. And so they did. So I, I went to speak with Christine, well, through email, and uh, said, hey, this could be a way that 
it would be like having a Culture Ireland stage at the Philadelphia Folk Festival. And that's what's going to happen. It's so different. there will be dedicated stream uh, for all Irish artists. And I'm, I'm absolutely over the moon about it. And the thing that's so cool about this is people like you bounce around to different stages at a festival. You can go do the same thing bounce around to different stages on this uh, platform. But unlike uh, a regular festival, it'll live on the site for another seven days and you'll be able to go back and watch what you missed. So quite literally, everybody will be able to be seen. There won't be uh, any chance that someone will be playing against another artist and therefore miss out on an opportunity. I did see uh, where the team at Culture Ireland put a call out for bands who might want to feature in that special event at the Philadelphia Folk Festival. And you'll be involved yourself, will you, in coordinating some of those bands that are coming out? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd love to work with, with Culture Ireland on the curation. I mean. I, uh, I've been lucky enough to come over and join you several times. So of course I have some favorite artists that had we been able to gather together and they were wanting to come into us, I would absolutely have asked them to join us at the festival. So if those are artists that are submitting, uh, you know, I have my list, so <laughs> we'll see, we'll see what happens, but you know what? I mean, I've been one to say even bad music's good music in Ireland, so. Yeah, I'm I, not going to actually put you on the spot to name those bands, but maybe when we're offline, you might let me know what your preferences are. No, it's fantastic. I think it's a really, really positive uh, development. And if any bands or acts or performers, whether they're solo or with groups, they want to find out a bit more, I'd say go to the Culture Ireland website and sign up there because the call is out there and it's open for applications for this year's Philadelphia Folk Festival. You can be on the same stage, as I mentioned, as Pete Seeger all those years ago. It's uh, fantastic to be talking to you. I was uh, here, Lisa, on our podcast. I did mention, actually, the opera company. What's that about? Oh, um, I actually don't do that any longer because uh, I'm, I'm way too busy. <laughs> but uh, back in the day, I actually used to do, um, I used to sing back up for uh, different artists. And I had a, a very good friend of mine that was singing with Savoy. And she said to me, you really should try. I think you'd enjoy it. And I said, uh, I don't have a classically trained voice. And I can't read music, so I don't think uh, they're ever going to want me to join the company. So unbeknownst to me, she scheduled an audition, and I met um, the maestro, uh, Dan Rothermel, who's, who is a genius. And he, he said, did you bring your music? And I started <laughs> laughing, and I said, no, sir. And I explained um, my situation, and so he played something through and then said, can you sing that? And I did. And apparently I was quite good. I don't know, but he, he asked me to join the company on the spot. What had to happen was I, because I don't read music, I would come in early and they would play through the pieces for me um, 
once I had it, I heard it through once, it was in my head, it was in my ear, and I was fine. So I did, I think, five, six, six seasons with Savoy. Honestly, there's nothing more humbling uh, than, than that type of experience. You know, you, you really do learn um, about being part of something bigger than yourself. And it was, it was extraordinary. I got over my stage fright. I used to be terrified. But, you know, once you're standing in the middle of a stage in a tutu, at, uh, at my age, uh, <laughs> I just make that picture. Uh, it kind of, it's kind of all bets are off at that point. I hadn't expected the conversation to wander down that particular road. I have to say, Lisa Schwartz, <laughs> uh, talking to you. You're also board president of Focalands International, and you're very much involved in consulting with artists and using your own strategic marketing and uh, branding skills to position them for career growth. So you have lots of interest, but it's all centered around getting artists out there and getting them to develop. Yes, it really does feel like everything does surround music. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I guess I'm a perennial do-gooder. I mean, I do love the export development work. I have loved sitting with your artists and talking to them about, you know, trying to help them kind of formulate their plans. And sometimes it's important when you can have a conversation with someone who doesn't want anything from you. I don't want anything from them. I just want to help them. So I'm not offering to manage or to be or agency or any of that. I'm just saying, let's talk about what you want and let's see how I can help. And I think that's, um, to me, that's a really important thing to do. And, and my grandmother always used to say to me, there's no greater sin than when you can help someone and you choose not to. So I guess that's kind of my my driving force all the time. It's invaluable help, there's no doubt, to bands that are starting out or bands that need to know how to get from one step to the next. I'm going to ask you about Folk Alliance International, uh, your, your involvement there. What is the state of play with uh, Folk Alliance International for next year? Well, we, we have cancelled the... Um, conference for February. Um, it was scheduled for February uh, 21 in Kansas City and the board of directors came together and it was, you know, there was so much due diligence around it, but it was actually a very easy decision because, you know, we support the music industry and we're an international organization and we had to think about you know, what our entire world is going through right now. And, and parts of the world are um, opening up in different ways. Parts have been impacted much worse than others. And so it all centers around the gig economy. So how do you have a conference and support the artists simultaneously, artists and agents and managers and labels who've basically been you know, financially gutted for an entire year. So it was very easy for the board to say, we need to find other ways to support our community. And, and we've pivoted to doing a lot of online type of, you know, panels and conference and, and resources, but we will not be gathering together in February. That has absolutely been canceled. So anybody, 
uh, artists that want to find out what exactly Folk Alliance is doing during this uh, lockdown period. All the stuff is available on their website. And yes, you've been putting up some very helpful articles and directions. I'm going to leave you on the note of the global edition of the Philadelphia Folk Festival. And we want to wish you really the very best with that. And we certainly looking forward to how our own artists from Ireland might develop and you know I think it's a fantastic opportunity for them to get on stage with you this year albeit from Ireland but I think that in itself has its own blessing too. The festival runs from the 13th to the 16th of August and if people want to get to see some of the fantastic performances that you have planned how can they do that Lisa? Uh, well, all the information is at folkfest.org, and we are releasing the first uh, big burst of the lineup on the 30th. Folkfest.org, and people will get all the information there. Absolutely. Finally, during this period and this downtime, I don't think you've had any. What music have you been listening to yourself? I, I'm, I listen to music nonstop, but um, oh, probably, you know, John Prine's, uh, oh, yeah. John Prine's was supposed to have closed out uh, this year's folk festival for us on Sunday night. And uh, we were one of the first uh festivals that he played in the beginning of his career he was with us in the early 70s and so he was very excited about returning and uh, of course you know we lost him and it's you know it's been very very hard but his um last studio uh recording the you know album the tree of forgiveness is is stunning and uh so i've been listening to that i guess two two different ends, Summer's End uh, and then uh, When I Get to Heaven, which is a pretty typical John Prine song. It's, uh, you know, in that it's just so perfectly written and it's, but it somehow is upbeat. It's just a really interesting song. Um, I'm also quite taken with a new band called The Black Pumas that released uh, an album, I think about a year back and they have um, it's self-titled and they have a, they were, I think, nominated for a Grammy for Best New Artist for a song called Colors. And it, given what's going on in our country right now, I think they are a very important band to listen to, not unlike, you know, Rhiannon Giddens and Amethyst Kia and artists like that. I've been listening to a lot of, a lot of uh, black artists lately and Gary Clark Jr., and then also um, the East Pointers. Um, my favorite of their albums is um, What We Leave Behind and, and Yours to Break. And they have, um, from What We Leave Behind, they have a, a fabulous song called Two Weeks. And I find myself putting that on a couple of times. It's great when I'm riding my stationary bike. It's, it's very, you know, it's got that reel in there and you gotta, you gotta pedal really fast to keep up with it. And Talisk, Talisk from uh, out of Scotland, they have a great CD called Beyond. And then I also, you know, I pop on Wee Banjo 3 and also um, I love Lisa Canny. Um, I love Carrie O'Sullivan. And then from Ireland, it was uh, all those gorgeous uh, female 
uh, artists that recorded um, the Cranberries Dreaming, I believe it is. It's it was it's just magnificent. Uh, I was I was absolutely blown away. The global edition of the Philadelphia Folk Festival is from the 13th to the 16th of August. Folkfest.org for all those details. Lisa Schwartz, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Oh, thank you, Kieran. Likewise, what a delight. We certainly look forward to next year's Philadelphia Folk Festival. Hopefully, we'll all be as we will be at Tradfest together again in music. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We look forward to when we're all together again in music at next year's Tradfest, provisionally set for the 27th to the 31st of January 2021. And while we're all waiting for the day when it's safe to travel again, you can fill your heart with Ireland by going to ireland.com. Ireland.